This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture and I'm Juliet Jacobs. It's that time of the month again where I am joined by environmental journalism portal Makaranga's co-founders, Lau Yao Hua and Wong Siu Lin. And we're going to do a recap of conservation-related news from the month past. So for September, we've had floods on our minds a lot and a looming lawsuit against DBKL and the FD Ministry over their flood mitigation plans or lack thereof. Uh, but we also want to discuss destructive sand mining over in Sabah that residents say are destroying the environment and also the first conversation Conference on climate that was held at Parliament at the start of the month. And looking ahead, we have National Environment Day coming up at the end of October. What's in store? I'm going to find out from Yahua and Siu Lin, who join me now. Welcome, both of you. How are you today? Fine, thank you. Lovely to have you back on the show. So fast the month goes by. We're entering the uh, fourth quarter of the year. Where has time gone? Uh, But, you know, (laughs) also the end of the year is the mark of, um, you know, the monsoon season coming in. And uh, we've already had quite a few reports of floods, haven't we? We had Penang facing their first major flooding since 2017. Uh, That was just last week. And Johor's Danga Bay was flooded yesterday. Uh, Baling, of course, devastating floods. Though, of course, you know, some say that's an act of God. But here in KL, uh, some residents have filed a legal suit against DBKL and the FD minister over what they say is an inadequate response to a letter of demand asking them to reveal their flood mitigation plans for the capital during the monsoon season. Can you uh, walk us through what's happening? Yeah, yeah. So definitely many floods for us who are not affected by the floods, right? Uh, These are just like um, news, you know, that we read about. We don't exactly feel it. The statistics are huge numbers, you know, for example, like Utusan Malaysia, they reported that the floods at the end of last year actually affected eight states. Uh, It hit eight states in Malaysia, caused 70,000 people to lose their houses and it incurred damages of up to 6.1 billion ringgit. So to us all, that's all just really numbers. And perhaps even to the people who are not directly affected by it, it could all be acts of God, right? That might be, but then it really depends on how we respond to it that matters. And so with all these floods hitting Earth left and right, and with more floods expected, right, in the coming months, that's also you know, predicted by the meteorology department. Some residents, like some citizens, are really so, I guess, frustrated and angry that over the years, like lots of money have been reported, like being pump into flood mitigation measures, but without, I guess, not satisfactory results to, to some of them. Yeah. And so, yeah, so finally, there's a, a legal suit uh, being filed against, uh, in this case, the uh, DBKL, the Kuala Lumpur uh, City Hall, um, by a group of eight Kuala Lumpur residents who some of them are, you know, awesomely lawyers. Yes. Um, so they filed against DBKL and then also the Federal uh, Territories uh, Minister, Shahidan Kasim. So this group, uh, what they are filing a legal suit against is that DBKL has not responded to their sort of like letter of demand by publishing like transparent flood mitigation measures mm-hmm. and updates on what they have done on the plans that the city hall and the government have said that they will implement in Kuala Lumpur. So I think the gist of it is that they are very unhappy that nothing is that is not very transparent. And so they want updates, everything to be you know above board and, and on the table. So it was like last Monday, September 19, that they sent the letter making that demand, gave the you know the uh, DBKL and uh, the FT minister five days to respond. Uh, they weren't happy with the response. Uh, I think it was just a press statement that was given by I don't remember whether it was DBKL or, or FT Ministry. Um, so anyway, so they were not happy with this group. And so then they filed um, the lawsuit, uh, according to a report on, on Malaysia Kini. Now, 
the thing is, so they are unhappy that they, the press statement only refers to this Balan Tintakan Banjir Kilat 2022, which the thing is already outdated because yeah. it didn't take into account. Uh, or it was like before the Auditor General's uh, report, which subsequently identified you know, many flaws or, or gaps in, in, in the flood mitigation measures. So, so that's that now. That's, a, that's that lawsuit now. But of course, you know, Chaitan Kasim, the FT minister, has, has uh, also responded by saying he's you know, totally prepared to give, quote unquote, like a detailed explanation about this flood mitigation measures and said that, uh, yeah, he's ready to talk. Of course, he also said that it's within the right of uh, people to, to sue. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I always like it when it seems like people think, I guess we fight for our rights in, in yeah. a way, uh, using the legal means, legal avenues. A lawyer's letter always get people's attention. So that's great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The same thing uh, has happened in Klang, right? They have threatened. They haven't actually, I think, filed a lawsuit, but the residents have threatened, again, a lawsuit against uh, everyone from the state government to the federal government to, to you know, local council. And I think people are just really fed up. I mean, how much can people just just listen to excuses? And, and we're not even talking about plans. I mean, we really needed action yesterday. We needed drains to be cleaned. We needed, you know, okay, drains to be dug. And a lot more other issues like development plans, you know, that all those things really should have been in place. And again, we have to go to the courts to get government to take action. Yeah. And we've been hearing all these calls for, you know, GE to be held during these next coming months, which we know is the monsoon season, is a flood season as well. You know, I think it was the former EC chairman who said that it would mean an extra one billion ringgit spent on logistics preparing for these sorts of things, you know, just transporting voters to their polling stations if places were flooded, you know. So there's so many things that need to be taken into consideration. Um, this lawsuit has been, a, I think, a great sort of um, reminder to to the leaders about what they should be focusing on, and that is, you know, preventing floods. Um, yeah, we can always trust our leaders to have the right priorities. Correct. Um, <laughs> just moving on now, let's go over to Kudat in Sabah. Uh, I believe residents there are saying that there are ongoing sand mining operations. I think that's been happening since June, isn't it? Um, and this is despite the government saying that the approvals for these are actually still pending. And I was reading a report in Malaysia Kini. They said that residents said they asked for a copy of the EIA report from the Sabah Environment Protection Department director on September 6, yet to receive a reply. What's happening there? Yeah, so basically there's a large state sand mining project happening in Kudana near Kampung Sikwati. It's huge. It's 2,200 acres. It involves sand mining. It also involves building a solar panel plant. Yeah, And the project is supposed to run for 30 years. Now, there's a huge investment that has come in. It's about 2 billion ringgit initial investment. And it comes from the Chinese company who's doing the works. It's called the Kibing Solar New Materials Malaysia Sendirian Berhad Company. Yeah. Now, there's villages around there. And there's five villages who have been objecting to this. That's Kampung Bangau, Andap Bangau, Andap Darat, Kimihang, and Longong Kecil. And basically, they have been uneasy about this. They are fishers. They've lived this wonderful, relaxed kind of life, you know. And what they are claiming is that the EIA has been submitted, yes, but not approved. Mm. So that's why the villagers asked for a copy of the submitted EIA. They have yet to receive it. Uh, they claim that they were not properly consulted. Only a few people were consulted, but not everybody. And, and generally, they say that uh, the villagers as a whole do not support this project. So they protested several times. Uh, they did officially uh, submit an aduan yeah, uh, for, about the project, but work is still ongoing. So they're now calling it an illegal operation. Um, so, so why is this project in place to begin with? Yeah. So uh, it's basically, this, this Kudat is a very poor area. 
uh, Kudat is actually one of the eight poorest districts in Malaysia, mm-hmm. accordingly, right? So they need to, they want to up, the government wants to uplift uh, the people from this poverty trap. A lot of them are fishers and a generation of the generation don't seem to be able to come out this poverty trap. So this is one of the big projects. You go in big, you offer jobs, you offer employment, and then the whole area will change and then everybody gets uplifted, yeah? yeah. So so basically, this is what the district officer has said. And also the Sabah parks, people were called in because this area is next to a, a wonderful protected area called Tun Mustafa Park, which is actually the largest kind of multi-use protected area in Malaysia. And it's right next to that, right? So uh, they have said, no, you know, this is fine. It's not going to be, a, a, the, the park is not going to be impacted. It's actually outside of the park area, but it's next to it, yeah? And what they're saying is then local communities will no longer need to depend on marine resources once they are hired by the company. This is Samba Park saying this, right? 2,000 jobs supposed to be created. 80% for locals with 300 specifically to those in Kudat and the area next to it, the Kotomarudu districts, yeah? However, the company is also bringing in 300 Chinese nationals. Now, apparently they're already in, apparently the housing has already been built and work has already started, yeah? So the villagers are very upset. One of the things, again, the project promise is that we're not going to disturb the villagers, okay? But trucks and workers are going through the village to access the site. Water is being tapped from the same mains, water mains that the villagers use, and they're saying that water supply is low um, because it's being impacted, water is going to the, the project. These are all claims by the villagers. Yeah? They've issued a press statement. Um, and then WWF has also come in, uh, and they are saying that the processing site will actually produce very fine silica dust. And this is known to be hazardous to human health with long-term exposure. And you have a project like this going on for 30 years, yeah. the dust settling all over the place. Again, we don't know what the mitigation measures are going to be or have been put in place. You know, Again, the EIA basically needs to be approved. Yeah. Okay. Um, so just again, want to bring uh, us back to the Tun Mustafa Park. Again, WWF is saying that any kind of environmental risk, uh, basically even outside of a, a protected area, right, is going to have a domino effect. On the park, it's going to have a domino effect on that beautiful. I mean, it's so beautiful. This Pantai Bangau Beach, beautiful long stretch of beach. The seas are clear. It's going to affect. Uh, you know, there's lots of biodiversity. The biodiversity is, is going to be uh, impacted, and definitely the villages. Yeah. So you know, just listening to Sulin, right? Um, it's like a, a microcosm of like so many of the problems that both the Department of Environment, journalists, uh, people on the ground face when it comes to environmental concerns. Like, okay, just to take the simplest one, the most obvious one here, whether the EIA was approved or not, the, the company, right, keeping solar new materials, right? If you look on the DOE website uh, on their list of EIA for keeping, like you see two EIA there, but they are not for sand mining is for like one's for a glass factory another is for like a sand acid wash plant so neither is for you know it's for this project that Sulin just described and the, and the local villagers are protesting against so that's one problem there it's not being updated fast enough the second thing is proceeding or happening without the you know, not following the proper procedures or the yeah. proper protocols or as if they knew for sure that the EIA would be approved and everything would, would happen. It, if you see this so often, it's so frustrating. Like, can you at least, you know, just be patient a bit and follow the timeline, the proper timeline, so that, you know, you don't give people, you know, more reasons to, to sue you or something. And then this, this whole cost, right, you bring in $2 billion investment. But what is the, we always are so slack or incompetent or not doing it when it comes to accounting for the total loss 
uh, the environmental damage that or everything that would happen, right? Um, and it's very hard to capture that. It's so much easier to capture, oh, money coming in, you build a plant, you know, you can sell all this sand and all this thing. And, and even if they do a proper like economic valuation and it comes to a net loss, which I've seen so many times in the EIA reports that I've looked at, you can have a net loss of, you know, 15 million over the next three years or, or 18 million or 13 million over the next three years. But still, the project is approved, mm. even though there is uh, estimated net loss uh, in terms of ecosystem services, in terms of the products that you sell. You know, of course, the profit will be pocketed by the, the developers, developers, but then... Yeah. Yeah, but then who pays for the losses, right? So, yeah, it's it's very frustrating, lah. Yeah. Yeah, I just just before Malaysia Day, I spoke to Adrian Lasimbang, you know, and he's a, an activist from Sabah. And, you know, he just said all these mega development projects that come into Sabah promising, you know, residents uh, so much payout, so much development, so much, you know, wealth income generated for them doesn't hasn't actually come to them. You know, they're they still without electricity, without water, still facing poverty. But, you know, some people are, of course, becoming very rich from these projects, just not the Sabahans themselves or not the local villagers. And I think even for this EIA, I mean, local residents should have been consulted in the EIA process, right? All of them under the law but clearly that didn't happen either so lots of gaps. I believe I believe um, what you talk about the economics is called trickle down economics. Trickle, yes that's the word <laughs> all right anyways um, yeah well okay we'll keep an eye on that I think that's a big one um, and now just looking uh, into what happened early in September I think it was the climate change symposium 2022 and that was held in parliament uh, brought together a whole host of people I think there were NGOs CSOs ministers uh, youth orang asli activists everyone uh, and they wanted to discuss the climate crisis isn't it and also the flood crisis uh, what were some highlights of outcomes from these talks? Yeah, so I think this is good news, <laughs> at least not to spoil everyone's uh, <laughs> afternoon utterly. Um, so yeah, so on 5th September, there was uh, quite a gathering, you know, it's called the Climate Change Symposium held at the parliament. And, you know, as you said, there were all those groups there and then also MPs, you know, from the government and the opposition. Uh, the Speaker of the Day One Rakyat was there and the Minister of Environment and uh, Water was also there. So yeah, so they discussed environmental justice, uh, how we are affected and will be affected by climate change, how we are responding to it or not, food security, floods, governance, uh, etc. All those things. So it's actually available, like, it was recorded and you can still watch it on, on Facebook. Coming out of the event, I don't think it was entirely due to the event, but coming out of the event, the Kassam minister, you know, uh, Tuan Ibrahim Tuan Man, he told reporters that a new bill on climate change, he expects it to be finalized at the end of this year and it will be tabled in parliament next year. So that's something to, to look out for. The opposition leader Anwar Ibrahim was also there at this gathering. And at the end of it, according to uh, social media tweets from uh, Climate Action Malaysia, who was also there, Anwar Ibrahim uh, repeated his call to form a special select committee on climate change and biodiversity. So you say actions. I, I don't think there's any concrete action okay. coming out of it, okay. uh, at least not according to what I've read. But I think it's a good thing to, because like, you know, you have uh, people uh, sitting at the same table talking, hopefully about the climate and, and biodiversity. And, and it, it, it puts on pressure, right, to keep on moving in, in the same direction. You know, it puts attention on, on this. Uh, and of course, everyone's mind is on this, really. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, parliamentary select committees play a very important role because they do work across the aisle. So you do have, you know, and, and the jobs that they do are, are actually critical. So what they do is they check and they report on areas uh, ranging from the work of government departments to spending. I think that's a very big thing, you know, like how uh, agencies and how are government departments spending the money? Uh, what about policies, you know, and, and it's a bipartisan effort to really tackle climate change and biodiversity. So it's it's long overdue when the, when the first uh, special select committees were announced, I was looking out for something to do with environment, even just environment, not even climate, mm. and none, none was actually announced. You know? So I'm, I really hope that this goes through. Uh, it takes the, the parliamentary opposition leader to do it, but you know, reaching out across the aisle, the Minister of Environment and Water was there and he gave a speech and talked about the amounts of money that are going to be spent are pledging for the next 30 years or something like that. It's a huge amount of money. Again, going back to flooding, largely addressing flooding, because that is the largest impact, real world impact being felt by people due to the climate crisis at the moment. Okay. All right. It was pretty huge. I mean, and, and lots of people there. So that was, I mean, a good step ahead. Again, should have happened yesterday, right? But never mind uh, whatever steps we can take. Um, and just looking ahead to October, the rebranded Malaysia Environment Day, which is now National Environment Day, among uh, other things, aims to foster awareness among the community, especially in the preservation and conservation of the environment. Can you share some things that might be planned that you know of? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the announcements about these these kinds of things. Uh, last year, I think we tried again to dig up information before, you know, we talked about it. But anyway, let's just look out for it. It's going to be on the 21st of October. And it, I'm going to hop back a little bit to, to history. And again, because of Great Britain's Queen's death, uh, uh, basically talk about how this came about. And this whole National Environment Day came out of the Langkawi Declaration on the Environment uh, on the 21st of October, 1989. And this is basically a meeting of the heads of common wealth. Again, I think this whole death of Queen Elizabeth has raised this whole issue of the commonwealth and the relevance of it to us. The, the whole thing about colonialism or decolonialism, especially with regards to environmental issues, with regards to loss and damage, all this this kind of discussions is coming out. But I just want to hark back to, to a little bit of that, that this meeting was actually quite seminal uh, because it was pledged by developed countries not to connect future international development aid to commitment to environmental sustainability. Also, also commitment not to introduce trade barriers, you know. And it was um, the, actually the first time that the Commonwealth leaders took a stand on the environment. And this is like half of the world. Yeah. This is even pre-Rio. It actually fed into the Rio Summit in 1992. It also fed into the UNFCCC process. That's the climate change process, you know. So so this this day actually is quite seminal for uh, the world, if you if you like that. Certainly the Commonwealth countries and certainly for Malaysia. So it's great that, you know, uh, we, we have our own separate day, separate from the World Environment Day. I know there's a lot of days that we are commemorating all the time, but this is actually a national day. So, you know, I think the hope is that everybody will come together and do something in terms of the uh, climate and in terms of the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then talking about the environment, right? With well, it's obvious that the environment is is definitely a lot more on uh, people's minds today than before, and unfortunately, a lot of it is due to uh, natural disasters. So it's with I guess the general election looming up whenever it is, it's really timely to uh, sort of like focus again on what are the top environmental concerns in in our country and what can be done or should be done about those, right? And mm -hmm. perhaps uh, look up to our potential future leaders or representatives to actually do something about it, or at least tell them, hey, look at all these things, right? And so, uh, Suleen, you wanna tell us a bit about some of the stories that you have been producing? 
Yeah, Makaranga is doing a little part in trying to get this kind of dialogue and this kind of comprehensive overview going, you know, in terms of the environment. We've got a series out this week, so look out for stories. The first story has dropped today, and the next one in two days' time, and the, and the third one uh, two days later. Uh, we're calling it the uh, hashtag Tanah Ae series, yeah? It basically looks at, you know, the meaning of Tanah Ae, literal meaning of Tanah and Ayer. Uh, and it's basically, it's only three stories, but do take a look at it. We try to frame it in terms of uh, key issues that need to be looked at. Uh, we did consult some experts on this and, and try to corral all the various different, everything is urgent, right? So we try to corral all these uh, various urgent issues under three main uh, topics. Uh, so it's our little bit to do it. Um, but we're also looking at loads of other groups. Everyone is uh, trying to do so many different groups are trying to, to do something about the environment. There's lots of calls. There's lots of, you know, uh, okay, this this is a list list of things that need to be done by political parties or by NGOs or CSOs or coalitions. And really, I guess, you know, everybody should get together to sort of discuss this, you know. So hopefully that will happen. Okay. All right. So I guess folks just need to get to head to Makaranga to read those uh, articles. That's makaranga.org. My thanks again to the both of you. I've been speaking to Lao Yao Hua, Wong Siu Lin, the co-founders of Makaranga. Uh, if you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my slash earth or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.